Use the uh, handheld mic this morning because apparently, Daryl, you broke the other microphone last week. Well, there we go. So, who was it the week before? Lloyd. Where? And Lloyd's not even here. We'll, we'll find him. Anyways, uh, the last few weeks I've been speaking at a church on the beach, which sounds really glamorous, but it wasn't so glamorous because the, the first week, uh, I guess I got the sermon out of the way and then it rained for a good chunk of the afternoon. And uh, it was windy, and I was standing on the beach, everyone's staring out at the water, and uh, I'm trying to keep their attention. Uh, and all that got, grasped my attention most of the time I was preaching was uh, horseflies and deerflies that kept wanting to bite my feet. Uh, and at one time I was in the, I don't know, maybe it was at the climax of my message, and there was a deerfly biting my shin, and I just went like that. And so someone called me afterwards a Bible thumper, so I thought that was... <laughs> That was pretty witty. Uh, and then last week it poured rain, so we had church in the garage of someone's cottage. Uh, and uh, it rained so hard that for, Allison said to me afterwards, it seemed like you were just talking. Uh, and no one could hear you because the rain was so hard on the roof. And I said, well, I'm kind of used to that on Sundays. So uh, I just talk. And you don't have to listen. Just, just humor me. Anyway, so this week's challenge is holding the mic while I have a couple of notes that uh, I'll need to read from time to time, but uh, we'll, we'll make do. Have you ever found yourself, and I'm sure you have, at a time in your life where at the very core of your being, you're weak, you're weary, you're worn out, you're, you're overburdened from what life has brought you, and you're fearful of what's going to happen next? And uh, I don't know if you can think of a time, or maybe that's where you're at right now. Uh, I know I've been there. Uh, in fact, Allison and I are there right now, uh, especially the fearful of what happens next, because Lauren just got her license this week, uh, and so is driving. So uh, stay off the sidewalks, and you should be okay. Um, but no, she's doing, she's doing quite well. But seriously, I have found myself in that situation. In fact, it wasn't too long ago, and I, I, I always think I'm pretty good at, at handling stress, and if you know me and, and the different things I'm involved in, I am usually able to multitask and, and handle quite a load. But every once in a while, I'll just get to the point where I, I'll say, and I remember saying it uh, a few months ago to Allison while we were in bed, and I just said, I can't take it anymore. And I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was the burden of work or what's going on here at the church, uh, kids, finances, probably a, a combination of everything. And I just, I can't take it anymore. I try to handle everything myself. I can't move on. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. And uh, I guess that's what stress is. And, and, I, and I felt that. And we were at a baptism this week at uh, a church in Pickering and listened to five or six, I guess it was seven people, uh, get baptized and listen to their stories. And there was young and old, those who come from a Christian background, those who, who live their life far from God. And it was interesting hearing their stories, that, th that they all got to a point, one way or another, where there was hints or, or a real heaviness of this soul weariness and burden. And maybe that's where you're this morning. As you think of where you're at in life, you're weary and you're burdened. Desperately seeking for peace to take the place of fear. For hope to take the place of despair. Strength to take the place of your weakness. Acceptance to take the place 
of your feelings of rejection. Forgiveness to take the place of the guilt that you feel. And you see this, this deep soul weariness shows no favorites. Because we've all experienced it. In different ways. For different reasons. Some of us can point to the reason why we feel the way that we feel. We can point to the burden. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes that, that deep soul weariness is a result of, of the burden of trying to live life apart from Jesus. If you remember a John Bunyan's classic book, Pilgrim's Progress. The first part of the book is it's about Pilgrim, the main character, and he's carrying this heavy burden. And everything that he tries to do to remove the burden doesn't work. And so he's left carrying that burden. And maybe that describes you this morning. The burden of trying to find peace, trying to find some kind of secure future, maybe even trying to find a right relationship with God, and you're doing it apart from Jesus. And it leaves you with a deep soul weariness. Or maybe that deep soul weariness is, is because you are a follower of Jesus, but you, but you know that you're failing miserably. And you're, building by the, you're burdened by the guilt and the shame that comes along with that. Uh, King David, he knew what that was all about. In Psalm 38, he says, Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And maybe you're here this morning and that's your burden. That you're, you're experiencing this deep soul weariness because you're struggling with sin. You're struggling with sin. You know that you're, you're practicing your favorite sin. And that's a burden. And then there's that deep soul weariness that comes just from the everyday trials and temptations of life. The burden that comes with sickness and pain. The burden that comes from finding ourselves in circumstances that we can't control. The burden that comes with sorrows and, and difficulties and tragedies and disappointments. The burden that the husband with three children feels when he finds out that his wife has terminal cancer. The burden that the wife feels when she finds out that her husband's been unfaithful. The burden that the teen feels when they find out that their best friend has died in a car accident. The burden that many pastors feel because they feel rejected and they feel stressed out. The burden that many of us feel because we can't make our finances work. The burden that we can feel because our experiences in life don't add up to what we expect from God. And what makes it even worse sometimes is deep soul weariness is because of multiple reasons. It's a complex situation. It's not simple. And so when people come along and say, you know what, don't worry. Things will get better. It just doesn't cut it. It doesn't work. They don't understand where we are at. But what if there was a simple promise 
with the power behind it that can lift the burden from us. You see, in the midst of our deep soul weariness, in the midst of our complex life, comes a power with a promise. A life-giving, hope-giving, simple promise. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This morning, we're continuing on with the series that we started just before the summer, looking at, at pop verses, popular verses, the most sought-after verses uh, in the Internet. And, and one of the verses that comes up is Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But what do these verses really mean? Can we really find rest from the deep soul weariness that many of us have experienced? And how do we enter that rest? Let's take a look at that uh, that verse. Turn in your Bible to Matthew 11. And uh, we're just going to look at a few verses, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. One of the things that I really have encouraged the guys this summer is, as they look at these popular verses is to make sure that they're looking at the context. What's the background? Why did the author or the speaker say what it is that we're actually looking at? And it's just as important with this verse this morning. Why did Jesus say the things that he did? Who was he saying it to? What was the reason that this verse, this invitation with a promise uh, comes up? And in Matthew 11 and and before Matthew 11, um, Jesus here, as we get to the end of Matthew 11, is addressing the people of Israel. The people of Israel who find themselves under a real heavy burden. And the burden is the religious system that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have placed upon them. The the legal do's and don'ts and the external rituals that they need to follow if they are to have a right relationship with God. And along with this religious legalism comes the, the, the guaranteed consequences of guilt and shame and dissatisfaction. Because it's impossible to live up to this system that the Pharisees have, have concocted whereby a person may have a right relationship with God. The, the Gospel of Matthew, up to this point, makes it very clear that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And that God the Father sufficiently substantiates who Jesus is. The kingdom is at hand. And, and the king has come. And people are, with, are, are without excuse. All that's left is to, to receive him and to accept him and to believe him. But the rulers and the religious leaders, they refuse to accept Jesus. Uh, they don't accept him, they reject him. And they applaud when Jesus is put to death. They refuse to repent of their self-sufficiency. They actually believed in their own self-righteousness. And so in the verses of Matthew 11, preceding the text that we're going to look at this morning, 
Jesus rebukes. He rebukes the cities. He rebukes the individuals. He rebukes the religious leaders and the rulers who refuse to believe who Jesus is. It's so clear to see. The evidence is there. And he rebukes them for not accepting him and believing him. And then Jesus turns and he makes this invitation with this wonderful promise. And he makes that invitation to those who will receive him. To those who will believe him and put their trust in him. He makes this invitation to those who want to experience the peace and the joy and the rest that comes from having their burden lifted. And Jesus turns to them and says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so who, who, to whom is this invitation given? It's, it's given to those who find themselves weary with the burden that they find themselves carrying. In the, in the text, it, it's the people of Israel who are burdened with this religious system that the Pharisees have placed upon them that they can't live up to. And for us, the invitation still remains. And for some of us, that burden that we're carrying is because we're not in relationship with Jesus Christ. And this invitation, first and foremost, is an invitation of salvation. For some of us, the burden that we are carrying is because we refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're okay with being saved, but we want to live life our way. And for some of us, the burden that we're carrying is just those everyday trials and temptations of life like we we looked at already. And so Jesus says to all who are weary and burdened, I invite you to come. And so it would appear that all are invited. But all doesn't include everyone. It only includes those who meet the qualification. And maybe you're going, that's a little heretical. It's not what we've heard before. But there is a qualification. The qualification is this. That the person recognizes their desperate need of someone from outside to help them. To lift the burden and to give them rest. You see, the one qualification for those who can accept the invitation of Jesus is understanding that you don't have a qualification. And so when Jesus invites those who know how desperately they need him to come to him. You know, one thing I drives me nuts, and and we can go months without invitations to anything. In the last little bit, we've received I think three invitations to different events. And one thing that drives me nuts is when people invite you to something and they leave out details. Like, who's invited? Is it Allison? Is it both of us? Is the kids supposed to come? Uh, where is the wedding? You know, what time? That's helpful. Uh, what should we wear? What should we bring? What's expected? And th- then there's that question that sometimes you ask, first of all, why were we invited? I love the simplicity of Jesus' invitation. He steps into the midst of our deep soul weariness in all of its complexity. 
He doesn't invite us to take part of a four-part path to peace or go to chapters and buy the latest self-help book and, and how you can uh, experience peace in ten easy steps. He, he doesn't invite us to go to a building or to a program or to a recovery group. He doesn't invite us to join a political party or, or, or adopt a certain philosophy. He invites us to himself. Jesus offers himself as the universal solution to whatever it is that burdens you. And some of you are nodding your head yes. Maybe there was even a quiet amen in the audience. But think about what Jesus is saying. How audacious it might be. How far-fetched, how unbelievable. Or to use the word C.S. Lewis would use, the words of a lunatic. You remember what C.S. Lewis said? For Jesus to make the, the kind of claims that he did, he's either a madman, he's a lunatic, he's the devil himself, Or he's the Lord. You can't have anything in between. It's a little commercial we're going to have right now. (laughs) Don't look at whose phone rang. It was over here somewhere. Sally, put your phone away. (laughs) Now I've got to remember what in the world I was just talking about. Someone remind me. Okay, C.S. Lewis, yes. It's not possible for our deep soul weariness and and all of its complexity to find its solution in one person unless the power behind that person's promise is greater than the weight of our burden. And how is that possible? Well, it's like what C.S. Lewis said. It's only possible if Jesus is who he claimed to be. God come in the flesh. The creator and sustainer of all things. The one who would prove who he was by dying and rising from the dead three days later. The one who could forgive us of our sins. The one who could make us right with God. The one who could grant eternal life. And so what does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, in the context of the passage, Jesus is rebuking those who had no reason to reject him, but they did and they refused to believe him and to receive him and to put their trust in him. And so Jesus says to the others, come to me. In other words, believe in me. Trust in what I can accomplish for you. And the invitation hasn't changed. No matter where we're at in life, no matter what our deep soul weariness might include, 
Whether we have never accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, whether we haven't submitted to his lordship, whether we are burdened with the trials and temptations of life, wherever we fall on the spectrum, the invitation doesn't change. Because Jesus says, come to me. Believe in me. Put your trust in what I can do for you. Deem as insufficient and inadequate all the other options that you have looked to to try to to find rest and try to lift the burden. If you haven't accepted Jesus, stop all the good works thinking that you're going to somehow get right with God. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus, but you haven't submitted to his lordship, and you know that there's guilt and shame that goes along with that, stop serving hog wild just to try to minimize the feeling of guilt. And if we're burdened by the trials and temptations of life, deem as insufficient and inadequate all the things that we do to try to dull the pain, to numb the pain, whether it's isolation, self-medication, alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be. Jesus has come to me. Submit to me. Trust in what I've accomplished for you. Believe in what I'm going to do for you. And realize that I can satisfy your delight and your desire for rest like no one else can. But you know, it's here. Right at this point where our burdened soul is tested. Because are we going to believe and trust in Jesus when it may not be evident how and when our burden is going to be addressed? That's why I had Daniel read Psalm 63. That's the passage I spoke on last Sunday. David is running for his life from his own son, Absalom. Absalom's leading a revolt. And David and his loyal followers have have taken off for their life. They're fleeing across the wilderness of Judah. They're going to cross the Jordan. It's while David is, is in the wilderness, fearing for his life, probably feeling disgraced and rejected, not knowing what the future holds. He sits down and he writes a poem. He doesn't journal. He doesn't cry out to God, help me. That's what I would have done. He writes a poem that describes his intimate relationship that he has with God and his deep desire for more. And as we go through Psalm 63, you'd see that he wants more of God and that God consumes his thoughts and emotions. And then you get to the part where you see, regardless of the circumstances, David is convinced of the goodness of God. He understands God's heart. And David says, the king rejoices, which is crazy. His son's trying to kill him, but the king rejoices. He's glad. He sings songs. He's joyful. And then he says, I found someone I can trust and depend on. That's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. That's the God that is inviting us to come to him. Jesus doesn't want us to trust in him just because He writes out in detail the whens and hows of our burden being addressed. He wants us to trust and believe in him and in the surety of his promise.
And so the invitation is given. Come to me. And along with that invitation is a promise. I will give you rest. And you know, if you boil it all down, the only rest for a burdened soul is hope. Real hope. And that's what we frantically search for for when we find ourselves in in those moments of deep soul weariness. Hope. Light, Light at the end of the tunnel. The world knows this. That's what they try to offer, the world tries to offer in all the, the products and, and the philosophies and, and the lifestyles that it promotes. Hope. Do this, buy this, drink this, eat this, join this, believe this, and your life will get better. The problem is the world's hope is, 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 is false. It's false hope. It doesn't last. It's only temporary. It just masks What's really going on? It doesn't, it doesn't lift the burden. In Psalm 62, David says this, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock. My refuge. And Jesus steps into the weariness of our soul. Offering himself. Because he knows he is our only hope. He is our salvation. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is the answer to every question, concern, or fear that we will ever have. He offers himself. It's all he has to offer. It's all he needs to offer. And if we receive him, that's all we will ever need. As the psalmist has said, truly, God is our hope. God is our rest. So how do we enter into that rest? Jesus finishes the verses in Matthew 11. He says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so it it appears that we, we enter into this rest by taking his yoke upon us. And I know most of us aren't farmers, but I think most of us have seen images of what a yoke is. And you picture two large animals at work in a field with a wooden crossbeam connecting them and, and harnesses connecting them together so that they can share the burden, so that they can work together And so it gets confusing. Is God, or sorry, is Jesus offering us rest? Is he offering us work? Because it seems like we have to work to experience rest. 
Well, let me conclude with, with two points. One is just to understand that in the Bible, yoke often represents burden. People that Jesus is making this invitation to are already under a heavy burden. It's the burden of legalism. Trying to earn a right relationship with God by following all the rules. The second thing to understand here is that there is a yoke exchange taking place. Jesus is saying, I came to take the burden of your yoke off you. And I carry, I'm going to carry it all the way to Calvary. And I'm going to die to take care of the burden of your guilt and sin and condemnation. And I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And I'm going to accomplish through my death everything that you will ever need. Every blessing, every resource that you're going to need in life. And all I ask is that you take my yoke upon you. We don't have the time to go through it, but what is the yoke that is expected for us to carry? In John 6, verse 29, it says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Jesus in John 15 says, Abide in me. In 1 Peter it says, Follow his steps. And there's the yoke. Believe and trust in Jesus. And if you never have done this, today is the day. Stop carrying the burden. Jesus wants to take it away from you. Believe, trust, abide in me. Stop abiding in sin. Submit to my lordship. And follow my steps. Dwight Pentecost, a preacher from days gone by, shares a story of how he was out with a farmer and he observed a large ox walking side by side in a field with a very small ox. And they were yoked together. And Dwight Pentecost said, that's totally unfair. That big ox is yoked together with the small ox. How in the world is that small ox expected to share the burden with that large ox? And the farmer stopped the oxen in the field and said, take a look at how this yoke is harnessed and how, the, how everything is connected together. See this large ox? He's doing all the work. The burden is totally on him. This little ox, he's just simply walking side by side. And Dwight Pentecost said, that's what Jesus meant. That's the life that he wants us to live. That's his invitation. Let him carry the burden. Just walk side by side, trusting in him and believing in him. Stop carrying the burden that we were never meant to carry. Daniel, come on up and lead us in this song. And, and I, my prayer and my hope is that as we sing these words, that, that this would be uh, your response to this invitation and promise of Jesus.